Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to a very special episode of Progressively Horrified. This is Jeremy, and as you all may know, I am based in Durham, North Carolina. Recently, I learned through the grapevine that one of our local theaters here, the Carolina Theater, putting on a horror film festival called the Nevermore Film Festival. It's running February 25th through the 27th. You can buy tickets for the physical showings and digital showings online, carolinatheater.org slash festival slash Nevermore Film Festival. Now, we were lucky enough to partner with Nevermore Film Festival to get advanced screenings of some of the films that we'll be showing and a chance to talk to some of the directors. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Vicky Size the director of the heart-wrenching sci-fi short Restore. Vicki, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's a real pleasure. First of all, since this is probably the first time a lot of our listeners will be encountering your work, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you got into directing? Of course, yeah. So currently I'm in the uh, MFA program at Florida State University, which is in Tallahassee. But the, the process of getting there before, before this, I was a teacher, a high school teacher for about seven years and pursuing filmmaking was always something, you know, it's kind of like that itch you can't scratch, but you still quite, don't quite know how to scratch it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when I was an undergrad, I was originally pursuing that, had to take a different path for personal reasons. Um, but you know, it was always kind of there and had stories that were just kind of, you know, laying around, not getting much use. But then I had a friend that had another friend that was about to do a 48 hour film festival, you know, and this was about five years already into teaching. And it was one of those things where, you know, sometimes it's kind of hard to get yourself to create your own opportunity, but I've always tried to at least tell myself that if I see an opportunity that I will run from it. So with that, I was like, yeah, you know, sign me up. I'll be part of the team. It was funny because one of the motivations was, was that they didn't really have any girls in the group. <laughs> So I was like, that's fine. I'll be the girl. And then I helped with that. And then, you know, again, the director of, of that 48 hour film group that I was in, Tristan, he was again, kind of opened another door was like, if you ever want to make something like I'm into it, you know? And then from then it was just kind of like building this relationship. It was like, I finally found these people that were interested in making films and stuff like that. And then after making a couple things, it was like, oh, wait this is something that really means a lot to me. It's a little bit more than just a hobby. So then I took those final steps to apply to film school, uh, luckily got in, and this is where I am now. Awesome. Uh, when, when you taught, what did you teach in high school? I don't know, I English department, but, you know, kind of worked my way uh, out of there because uh, what I really wanted to teach was sociology, which is what I got my undergraduate degree in. Um, and I taught sociology and economics. Um, I, I, my, most of my, or primarily all of my uh, teaching experiences is, is, is with high school seniors. Um, that was kind of like the age range I wanted to work with um, because they're kind of right out the door and about to make some big decisions that, you know, may affect their life in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I, I come from a whole family of teachers. My mom and dad are both teachers. My wife is a teacher. My wife teaches high school and she, she deals with a lot of like, basically all the grade levels she teaches english so she teaches a little bit of everything and it's uh i think it's it's a very challenging job but it's one of those things that like 
when it's really clicking and then something really comes together, it feels creatively a lot like making stuff artistically. I made this plan and like it clicked with the kids and now everything is coming together. And then there's all the other stuff that comes with being a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely similar to, to filmmaking in that the work is in everything before, you know, it's like everything from like pre-production to production. And then it's like, well, and then you watch the movie and it's like, great, you know, and, it, and it's good. It's an enjoyable moment, but really the enjoyment comes from the work all up into that point, you know, before you're able to press play and teaching is kind of similar, especially since I was working with seniors, it's just kind of like classroom every day, every day. And then seeing them in that final moment of graduation is like, well, that's nice, you know, but, but it's, it's everything before that, that kind of made it worth it. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean. I make comics, people see it and they read it over the course of, depending on the, the size, like five minutes or a month. And they're like, oh, that was good. When's the next one? And you're like, I've spent two years on that thing. Mm -hmm. I, I can imagine it's the same way, especially with something like this, where you have, you know, six minutes, but ultimately I'm, I'm sure it took quite a bit of work to get all this put together, especially with you guys having special effects and so much production in this, in this film. Yeah, it's definitely something that the average person is like, oh, wow, that was cool. And then, you know, it's kind of like, I know what the work. Um, and so, so given that it's like very structured in this program, we all have the same amount of time. One show isn't given more time than another show. So it's really trying to find something that you can do kind of within that scope and within that time frame, everything is kind of broken up into sections. It's not like everything for my film first. It's like everyone's in pre-production for their film. And then once that done, it's like everyone's in production. So there is kind of like a lot of pausing in between before you kind of get to your show uh, back again. So kind of adding up all that time of all the different segments. Production was only two days. I don't know. It was at least a few months really kind of given everything all wrapped up together for this. Uh, but, you know, admittedly, given the the VFX that was necessary, you know, it was like really trying to make sure that the time management, especially in post, was structured well, because it was like, we need to make sure that we have the story set, and, you know, but then, um, you know, my editor needed the time to make all these characters flicker um, and just kind of, you know, weaving through that and making sure that, you know, we, we prioritize the story, but that she also had the time to kind of do the tedious kind of grunt work of that, you know, that was an interesting dance. Um, and I mean, it was, it was lovely what she pulled up. Yeah. It, it looks really amazing. I think it's a phrase student film. A lot of times comes with certain expectations from people. I know some film professors that are like, well, you know, you have programs that either specialize in narrative or they specialize in production. And, you know, I, I think this hit a nice space in between uh, those two things because it is a really interesting story and you do get, I think, things that you wouldn't necessarily expect from a, a six minute short student film in the, the level of special effects and stuff in here. It's really incredible. No, thank you. Yeah. I mean, that, that one of the, the great things that I love about this program, which, you know, admittedly going in. I didn't really know, you know, I didn't know the history of Florida State's uh, film program. Honestly, I just kind of applied because it was, you know, it's the tuition and it was like, if I was going to make a leap, I was going to make a, a little leap, you know, I just kind of made it just for personal reasons. And then 
coming into the school and learning like the vast history of their kind of imprint in the industry and, and what they provide and all these other things. I mean, I was felt suddenly very lucky to be there. And then as you're kind of mentioning, I mean, I think that's what makes it so great because being able to kind of foster both sides is, is what they focus on. And when you are in that directorial position, they really do want you to focus on the narrative and that, that allows you to embrace that, decide what's important for the characters or for the story. But at the same time, you're also like working in all the varied positions and all the other films, you know, of my, of my classmates. So that production side is also very heavy. And it, as a school, you know, can provide a full picture of what is really going on uh, kind of behind the scenes and how much work it takes, you know. And when I was writing Restore, I wanted to do exactly what you mentioned. I wanted to be as narrative as possible and setting sort of high expectation for production, but also not just take it too far or ask for something um, too much or a little bit too absurd. And, and that was the that was the dance that I was like focusing on for this. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Restore. You wrote and directed it. Um, how would you describe it to people? Like, what, what's your elevator pitch for this uh, film? Um, I call it a, a post-apocalyptic sci-fi drama about the last man on Earth. And uh, he employs holographic uh, technology to relive a special memory. The, the setting was really interesting to me because it's set in sort of this abandoned grocery store and this post-apocalypse and it's, Somebody who used to work in a grocery store, there's nothing creepier than an empty grocery store. Was that sort of a set you had in mind from the beginning or was it something like you found when you were doing production and you were like, oh, like, this is a great place to, to set this thing? Well, the original idea was based off of a more post-apocalyptic university setting. The universities are kind of like this totem pole of thought and sharing is a place where everyone kind of learns a little bit who they are and and, and that's kind of where i wanted to track how uh, the protagonist jason and, and how his partner brian met um uh, but you know again given the scope and you know i tried to find different areas that might look like it could be a school that was just destroyed and and that was starting to feel a little bit like a stretch and any sort of more serious effects you know was restricted uh, for this specific pill category, which we call our D2s. So, okay, let me change the setting. And, and then I just went on a hunt. I mean, I was driving, I, I think I now know the city very well. I was just finding abandoned buildings and factories and junkyards and houses. And I was just like, which one can carry the, the core elements of the story and bring them to this kind of new setting? And uh, one of them was this like abandoned Winn-Dixie or, the, you know, that was currently for sale. Um, it is now a French fitness. Um, so <laughs> it is now, it is now a brand new, uh, newly painted, fresh painted place. Uh, no longer looks like my, my old location. Um, but I just, this one, huh? Yeah. No, <laughs> no, I just, I contacted a ton of places and I mean, it was a building that was for sale. So, you know, I just called the realtor and I mean, he was very generous letting us in. I often have a hard time writing for a location that I like to secure the location first and then kind of write for that. Yeah. Uh, especially just given the the restrictions of the program in certain aspects. It's just, it, it helps tone me down a little bit, like working with what I have versus trying to kind of make something out of nothing. Um, we're making it kind of too difficult. So 
And there was a time where I thought that uh, this location wasn't going to work for the story. I mean, I was like, oh, come on. Like, you know, how do I change this? How do I change that? You know, and then I almost gave up on the idea uh, when then I was just kind of like sitting in the space one final time. I was like, this is a great location. Like, I am not, I am not letting this go to waste. You know, something's going to happen here. Let's make it interesting. That's kind of how I, I ended up finding a way to kind of put all of the pieces um, a little bit together. Yeah, it, it's interesting that you say it's a it's an old wind Dixie because I live in North Carolina, so like those that frozen food sign looked very like familiar to me. Yeah, <laughs> we had one of those down the street, which is now one of a million food lions in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, and I was, and I was so happy that they still just had the one row of freezers just left. Like everything else was pretty empty and deserted. But there is these, like, just on each side, you know, as, as you see in the film, or where Jason's is walking down, like, those are the only freezers left in the building. And I was just like, you know what? I'll take this as a side. I'm going <laughs> to use this to my advantage. Um, and I mean, it was, it was, it was such a neat space to be in. Yeah, it's, it's great. Cause I, I think it would have taken a lot more work and a lot more sort of set dressing to, to get the idea across if it wasn't, you know, for those two rows of freezers, which seem very familiar. So the, the idea of Jason trying to reconnect with this positive memory in this time where everything else is, is gone, it's like, it's, it's an incredibly powerful idea. Like, what was it about that idea that like, you were, you were like, I have to put this into film. Like, this is, this is what it needs to be about. Given certain limitations, the story kind of steered more towards just focusing on the, on the love story and what someone would do to just kind of see that person again I wasn't able to include a scene where you know he kind of like a little bit before that moment like where he kind of acquires this tech you know it just kind of starts where he already had them um but uh the kind of underlying message a, a bit is is yes is yes about kind of missing this person um but that's why in the, you know, in the elevator pitch, essentially, I just kind of see a special memory and less the kind of specifics of, of whether it's about Brian or the I love you, because the memory is the whole picture. It's not just, you know, missing your partner. It's, you know, missing the kind of nondescript cashier that you, you know, never really gave much attention to, um, to the extent you don't even remember her name, um, but you just kind of remember her role in that shopping experience. It's also kind of missing, you know, the mother and the young girl who again are, are, are strangers, but you kind of had those awkward interactions. So you go straight shopping and you don't really know anything about these people, but, um, you know, there is a sort of exchange, um, and then kind of, and then other sort of meet and then other meaningful things that can happen. And that kind of leads to a sort of build up to, to, you know, seeing Brian again and, and the difficulty of what that might feel like uh, for Jason, um, you know. But the most important part of that memory is is a little bit less about uh, O'Brien's his partner, and more about you know this douchebag character, where it couldn't the the memory would not be full without the douchebag, and and that if someone actually misses their old world that they would miss all the things that kind of come with it and the good and bad. And that's kind of, that's kind of the, the story that I'm trying to tell that, you know, 
for 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 us to have a a true existence is to kind of have all the pieces, you know, the people that love us, the people who who don't know us, and the people that are mean to us. Yeah, I, I thought that was very interesting because it's like he has this memory; he can't really quite live it without having this. Uh, what's definitely like a negative instance of, of him and his partner being harassed in the grocery store, but leads to this, you know, sort of confession of love on his part. And I, I think it's, I think it's an interesting, uh, statement on, on just sort of like how all that stuff comes together, but also sort of the, the danger of, of nostalgia as far as like recognizing these positive parts of, of you know, your life without actually putting it in the context of the things around you, the, the negative things that might've led to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's understanding that it kind of all comes, all comes together. It just kind of requires a full picture. And, and, the, and the nostalgia of it is, I mean, like also wanting to try to see like, you know, what that would feel like. Um, I mean, you know, post-apocalyptic or, or someone being the last person ever you know to kind of roll around it's it's, it's something we've, we've seen time and time again and i think what's so fascinating about it is that we just don't know what that's like period you know it's not something that we can say that we are even empathetic towards we can empathize with feelings of loneliness or isolation you know but the literal aspect of being actually the only person left is not something that's experienced so just try to connect with that emotion, how that would almost be intoxicating of a thing to kind of relive. I even think about if Jason is, is he like reliving this every day, just again and again, the sort of like kind of brutal emotional impact, you know, that he may be going through. I'm just fascinated by those things. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to me because it's to some extent nostalgia, but to some extent sort of this almost like emotionally abusive thing to himself where he's just like, he has to, force himself to experience this thing just because like there's there is nothing else right right and it, it, it's it's interesting about kind of just like you know what what matters more and that was a lot of the discussion you know that i had while writing and and and, and up until like production which was like you know why would he why would he like it's already kind of a bit difficult just to see the person you love again and they, they not really be there you know why add this extra part that is just you know seeming unnecessary and and my response often was like it's unnecessary to us now because we're not quite in that position i didn't want to assume that jason would do what i would do now when we're in completely different situations and i just felt like he would being as alone and, 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 you know, there's that scene where you kind of see where he's been staying. I mean, it's just like, I can't imagine what, what much he's doing with his day, you know? So it's kind of like that, the sort of low that I think at that point he would almost appreciate any sort of interaction, you know, and it's not dubbed good or bad. Like we're dubbing it a bad interaction because we can choose to have good interactions, but he can't choose. So he's just like, I'm going to take it all in. Yeah. It reminds me, I think in some ways of sort of the feeling of like going back to like a hometown or somewhere where you haven't been for a long time and everything is different. And you're in some ways wistful for things that like at the time would have been like, 
oh, I hate this thing, or it's, it's boring or annoying or, uh, you know, things, things that you would have a negative association with, but like going back, you're just like, oh, I remember how this thing used to be. Um, and, and that seems like this would be the grand scale of this. Yeah. And honestly, just this was my first kind of attempt at doing something like more sci-fi, uh, you know, loving. One thing I love about sci-fi is, is how it's just more kind of like the dress to the actual like point that it's trying to get across. Um, it just kind of uses it as, as this external thing, trying to communicate the same story, um, or, or a, a similar message without all those things around it, I was worried that it would have been lost or even harder for the audience to understand. So I was like, well, you know, I've never tried a sci-fi before. So let me try to like dive into that a little bit. Let me like kind of test the waters and kind of came to realize that it was a bit necessary to kind of really accentuate the point of what he's been going through and kind of why he's been um, going through that. But I mean, it's interesting to recall how how the story and the settings have kind of changed and, and shifted since, you know, the original idea, which was a bit more what you're saying, how like we live in the hometown, except the hometown was like maybe like where he went to college and just kind of like reliving that aspect. Universities are such a place where just so many different minds mix, but you know, minds mix in grocery stores too. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people who have been to college have some version of, of that already. Oh, I remember when I was in college and I could just like go talk to these like 10 people who are my friends for like two hours and I had nothing else to do. And that was so nice. Whereas like, I think that the idea of like not being able to go to a grocery store and be in the same space as other people is a much more, that's, that's not something we've ever quite had to face. So it's a much grander scale of the, the same sort of thing. Also, yeah. I feel like it, it wouldn't be fair to to talk about this movie without bringing up Gerard Simonette, who plays Jason, who is like incredible in this. The whole thing depends, I think, very much on you understanding what Jason is feeling. And I think Gerard does a very good job of bringing to life these really complex emotions with very little dialogue. And I think getting that performance and then, you know, getting it captured on on. Uh, tape. I think that's what makes the whole thing work because I, if you didn't really get a feeling for what he was feeling, I, I don't think any of this comes together the same way. No, of course, Gerard was the person that I had in mind, even from writing it. And um, I was kind of carrying him with me through the whole process. And then when I was ready to start casting, you know, I, I auditioned quite a few people, but, you know, you know, without quite telling him that, you know, he was, he's kind of who I'm envisioning and just kind of wanted to see how he took the, took the character and, and interpreted it. I remember when we were at the screening, he was like nervous about it. And I was like, you don't understand how amazing you are in this and, and how all of these kind of pieces come together. And it's for as great as, let's say this location was, again, it doesn't quite matter if, if his performance is not quite really nailing the point you know it could be as drab or as empty or as deserted or as destroyed as possible he's the kind of the final peak that really gets the audience sucked in and the pain and the loneliness he was an, an absolute star and also just you know having this connection with brian which is played by justin manson they just kind of had this energy that was just palpable you know and especially justin essentially just 
repeating himself, you know, Brian's lines just like over and over and over again. And having to do this distinction between the only one in the post-apocalyptic world is Jason. One of the conversations I had like with the other actors that were, you know, I was like, but y'all are in the present time. So it's got a little bit of dissociation because I know that you're physically in this abandoned space, but like you are not, this isn't actually quite your world. So kind of finding that separation with them. And then, I mean, Gerard just fully encompassed this atmosphere, this, this the world, the emotion. And I mean, you know, forever, forever grateful uh, for him, his participation in the story. He has such a nervous energy of somebody who's like clearly trying to get something right, who has just clearly tried this, you know, a few times before and is just really needs it to go right. <laughs> it's really incredible. Yeah. And, and the ending of the story was something that was so like, uh, and reworked on like trying to really get that final, that, you know, final little bit of agony, you know, or, or bittersweet in a way. At the end of the day, I always think of just that his final facial expression. I mean, you know, it gets me, it gets me every time because you can kind of just tell like that his pain and, and while it kind of seems, you know, like more of like a sad ending, it's less about sad or happy, just more about his reality. And he was spectacular. I mean, he's a, he's a new, new actor, you know, I guess you may say untrained or something like that. Um, he's actually like one of my classmates and he showed interest in, in acting. He would always offer the to hand parts to certain projects or assignments that we would have to do. And often he would be working in comedy, like comedic roles, uh, which he's great too. And I just wanted to, I, I always felt like I kind of saw something else. I was like, like, I'm going to do a 180, 180 on you. You know what I mean? I'm going to, we're going to, it's going to be a drama. It's going to be a post-apocalyptic. You're going to be the only one. There's not going to really be like, you know, other characters. It's just going to be kind of you in the space. And, and, and I knew that he could do it. He was a bit nervous. And I, and I actually think that nervous energy as you're stating, kind of like helped, it helped actually the character in that way. And I really wanted to showcase that, that he is, you know, he has a 360 held. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild to think that he's not like a professional actor. That's like, this is just something he does on the side because he, he's very good. Is there anywhere that you would recommend people uh, check out online if they want to learn more about you or, or any of your work other than the film festival, of course? <laughs> no, of course. Uh, I am on Instagram and uh, that's at VYKY number four. Um, on there, you can see the, there's a link to the trailer for Restore, get you in the mood for it. The first short film that I wrote and directed, Semiel, that is on YouTube at Rec Society. That's it for now. Um, but, you know, really excited to get more things out very excited for my thesis film that that i wrote and uh, will be directing in april and hopefully again that will be something that people can see soon at festivals and things like that awesome well uh just reminded people again the the nevermore film festival is running at the carolina theater the 25th through the 27th if you're in or around durham you can buy tickets and then come to the actual film festival and if not it's all available digitally, so you can buy tickets on there and, and watch it from the safety of your home all the way, I think, up through March 3rd is uh, 
when the films will be available to watch on there. And we definitely recommend uh, checking out Restore and uh, keeping an eye out for more stuff coming from Vicky Saiz because uh, it's it's great. So uh, you're you're going to be one to watch, I'm sure. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy. And uh, um, you know, I love a podcast. I love what you're doing. Um, this is an amazing opportunity. And yeah, anytime you want to chat again, I'm down. Sounds good. Well, to all our listeners, until next time, stay horrified.